Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Welcome to the after party. It's time to change. You're just getting started. You can teach an old dog new ways and not just on Saturday. Oh my God, I don't know what is going on today. It's Anna David, and I have been like John Favreau in Swingers, uh, calling and leaving messages, but instead it's been recording these intros, which I keep screwing up in these really crazy ways. I stopped caffeine yesterday, could be related. Anyway, I am determined to not press stop and start again. And so this is it, warts and all. I don't even know what's going to happen, but you guys are going to get it. And today's guest is very inspiring. He's, I thought he was my little discovery. Turns out he's the world's discovery. Uh, his name is Lewis Howes, and he is what is known as a lifestyle entrepreneur. This was a vocabulary term I had to learn. Um, and I think it, it might apply to other people besides him, but it really applies to him. He's a, um, he's this kid. He's not a kid. He's 31. He was a kid from Ohio who, uh, was a pro athlete, was like a varsity athlete and, and went to play professional football and then hurt his wrist in such a way that he could not play. And he, rather than allowing that to sink him into a depression, he, uh, he basically, from his sister's couch with no money and a broken wrist, he became the world's leading expert on LinkedIn. That's weird, right? Wasn't. It led to him doing these events, then it led to him doing these webinars, then it led to him uh, writing and selling books, and he is an incredible, I think he, as I tell him on the podcast, is the new Tony Robbins. He, I, when I was in going through the darkest period ever and no inspirational recovery material seemed to help, I started listening to his podcast, and I would feel like I could do anything. I would feel like anything was within my control, not control, power. I could, and that I was great. He's got a podcast called The School of Greatness, which um, is all about that. And I had reached out to him before. I don't know. I was like, I, I kind of sensed that he could, that he could be very inspiring. He agreed to actually meet up with me and we um, he's like a hundred feet tall and built like Mr. Universe, but not in that cheesy way. And he bought me a smoothie and basically um, was very inspiring. Things changed right after I met with him. I don't know if they're related, but anyway, um, I've only listened to more of his interviews since. And and then uh, today, doing this podcast, I um, found out something I did not know about him, which he's just recently started sharing. Um, about abuse. So you will hear about that. So he has overcome, I thought he was just a, an amazing guest to have because he had overcome this, you know, losing his dream and wondering what he was going to live for. Um, have I mentioned he's like a world-class athlete now? Yeah. Anyway, that's what a lifestyle entrepreneur is. They, they, I think they become, this is at least one part of it. They become an entrepreneur so that they can uh, afford to live the lifestyle they want and his involves traveling all over the world playing handball. We're going to learn what that is. I'm wondering, are these intros, are they too much like they tell too much, you know, and that maybe, maybe you just want to get right to it and, and, and not listen to what you're going to, I don't know. I'm someone who would like to hear what I'm going to listen to, but possibly your brains don't work like mine. So, um, with that, I am going to present you with Lewis House. I first started taking drugs by chewing blocks of hash. Oh my God. I think my copy has like blood stains on it from shooting up while reading it. 
party animal. I hate to say that because that makes me sound Paris Hilton. I was on the, as right. I call it, the Autobahn to nowhere. I'm very lucky because would you have wanted to have a celebrity junkie for a dad? So you must have seen a different picture. I mean, I've spent time on your site, so you'd think that I would be more familiar with it. Um, no, I just told you, I think you are you are the new Tony Robbins. And I think you are, like, and one of the reasons <clears throat> I wanted to have you on this is that I think you are deeply spiritual. Mm. Your message is deeply spiritual mm. without even having that as part of the thing. You know, that's not part yeah. of your advertisement, but it is. And when I was going through through a compl- a really dark time, mm-hmm. I would listen to recovery stuff, and I would listen to and I would read stuff, and nothing resonated. But you did. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, I've been going through my own journey over the last year, year and a half. Of oh, like, really? Yeah, just kind of like evolving as a human being and doing a lot of personal development and growth and leadership work and emotional intelligence work on myself. Right. Uh, you know. I think everyone goes through ebbs and flows, ups and downs throughout their life. Sometimes we're like unstoppable and other times nothing goes right. So there was, you know, an experience about a year ago, I went through a pretty tough breakup for me that was emotionally right. challenging. Right. And I was like, let me reevaluate things and let me look inside and why was this affecting me so much and why didn't it work? And right. why did I stick in something that didn't work for so long? How long were you with her? Uh, it was about a year. And, uh-huh. and we're great friends now, so I, right. I have nothing bad to say about it. It was just like the situation wasn't working for either of us. But I was trying to like make it work as a competitive athlete, you know, like what can I do to be better and what can I do to change and hiring love coaches and all these things. You were doing that? I had two love coaches, like relationship coaches and... What did you, were you in therapy with the girlfriend? uh, I actually, we, so I hired two relationship coaches to be like, how can I be a better man? Without her even being without her even knowing, did you tell her? Oh my god! Yeah, I think I might even. I think I might have told her like, "Hey, I'm I'm talking to so and so, and I'm you know whatever." How'd you find your relationship coaches? Uh, Through like other friends who are girls who are like, "Oh, you got to talk to this girl," you know. Right, right, right. Um, and then yeah, so and then eventually, like the last straw is like. Should we do like couples therapy? Yeah, and that I was should like, not be a last straw. I, whatever. I feel like couples therapy could come before the love coaches, but that's probably. just me. Okay. Well, I was kind of like, I kind of already knew in my heart, like this wasn't going to work out. Right. And Because I was just stressed out and emotionally right. drained. But right. I I was like, I will, I'm willing to give this a go to see if like something will shift. And if it shifts and gets back to like what something, what I felt like we had right. at one point, then cool. Because nothing was working. Right. And but, the um, therapy didn't. I didn't do anything. I mean, it pretty much confirmed that I was right. And w- what did you learn from your introspection afterwards? Like, what what was it that had you hooked or oh, that had man. you trying so hard? That's a good question. I think it was like, I was unclear of what I really wanted. Mm-hmm. And I thought I wanted one thing, but I was doing something differently. And, you know, it's just, I think I was just you know, 29 and, right. you know, whatever. I, I didn't want to have kids and be in a relationship, but I did want a connection right. and intimacy. Right. So it's two mixed signals. So she was ready for the next step. She wasn't. Yeah. But she thought she was. <laughs> she thought she was. She was like up and down also. Right. So right. it's kind right. of like two people up and down. It's like, right. how do you create something that's consistent? But you strike me, mm. and I've really listened to you a lot, and had Thank the pleasure you. of sitting down with you once before yes. and having a smoothie with you. And that's how you really get to know somebody. But like you struck me, you strike me as a very well adjusted person, which is again, why I think you're so important because I don't think you come to this having suffered major tragedy and, and being so dark and lost yeah. and having to find your way. You, you're basically, you know, come from a happy family. I mean, you have your, your brother went to, to prison uh-huh. when you were a kid. Yeah. But at the same time, it wasn't like he was some terror. It was no, no. practically an accident. Yeah. You know? And, and I mean, it's all perspective. I mean, my childhood was, for me, my perspective was it was extremely emotional. It was really? extremely dramatic and emotional. Well, okay, and you were teased as a kid. Yeah, right? yeah. I was, I mean, I, was, I couldn't read until I was like in high school. Right. I always felt ignorant and, and stupid. And, you know, I'm a 
this is the first time I'm saying this publicly, but uh, it's it's gonna be on my podcast here soon. But I was when I was five, I was actually raped by a man. Are you serious? And I just started talking about this about four or five months ago, and I and I just did a recording on right. my podcast that's coming out next week. So that's why I feel comfortable sharing with you now. Oh my god! But for 25 years, I didn't tell anyone about it, and I felt this shame and this you know insecurities and this unworthiness because of this one of these experiences. I'm just in shock. I know. Sorry to bring it on you right now. No, I'm so sorry that happened to you. It's okay. I appreciate that. And and so and so this just happened. You never told a soul. I told a, a, a sociology professor when I was a freshman in high school, like after a class when he was talking about rape and sexual abuse. And I was like, man, it was, you know, for my entire childhood, it was, it was kind of like a bad dream. Right, I, right. Know, it's one of my first memories. Mm-hmm. I remember it vividly. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of just talked about it when, with him after one of these classes in his, in his office afterwards. Did he even know what to say? Um, I think he's probably experienced stuff like that before. He was very compassionate and you know just just telling me you know he this probably wasn't his first time right or he's probably done this again right and i didn't know who it was it was my babysitter's son when i was after kindergarten i'd go out to the babysitters after after class after school right across the street or whatever and um yeah and he was there one day and that happened and i didn't really know what's happening i knew it wasn't right but i was just kind of like i was five right right how old was he he was probably in his teens, oh I would say, God. probably oh. like 16 to 20-ish, and uh, I never saw him again. Like, I don't, you know. And would you have nightmares about this? Or you-, um, you know, I would just have memories about it. Like, right. I, could, I could vividly remember what happened right now. Right, But right. it doesn't, you know, for a long time, it really affected me in a negative way. Yeah. And it was just, it was, I wouldn't say that, like made me who I was as a kid, but it's definitely that and many other instances that verified this ideal in my mind that, you know, people used me or I was abused or, you know, whatever my my conversation was. You know, it wasn't the defining thing, but it was like a number of things, I would say. So I was basically 100% wrong. But here's the same thing. It's all perspective. I mean, like, I grew up and I had, you know, three older siblings who were incredible. My parents loved us right although i didn't feel loved until i was about 14 i knew my parents loved me right do you think that was related to the abuse um you know it's just my own conversation as a kid i was the youngest kid of four my brother went to prison when i was eight right my sisters were older and it was just like i wasn't really connected to the family because i was like this young brat Right. So this is my perception. Right, right. You know, they they loved me. Right. My every night my dad like put me to sleep like he told me he loved me. He was there, you know. He was there for me. He he showed me he cared. But it was just I didn't feel it until mm-hmm. I was about like fourteen. And and then they were also clearly with your your brother being the world's uh, greatest jazz violinist, greatest jazz violinist, and and you doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. They must have somebody was like t- telling you guys to achieve greatness. My dad always was just like you know you can achieve anything you want. Right. He just said that over and over. He like didn't put any limitations on us. He we never celebrated. Uh, he would never let me celebrate my birthday because he didn't believe that we should celebrate age because he thought it would be a limiting factor in uh-huh. achieving what we want to achieve. Whether it's we're too young or too old, he was like, he just didn't believe in time. Okay, but as a kid, were you bummed because yeah, you sucked. wanted to celebrate? Yeah, I was like, all my friends are having birthday parties and I right. never celebrated. So it was kind of like. But I appreciate it now because it's never limited me. Well, and yeah, this mindset. You yeah, know? I mean, you're, you're. We're gonna get. We're doing chronological, but yeah, we're gonna yeah, get yeah. to what you're doing now. And yeah. no, I mean, you're still so young. So you're thirty. I just turned thirty-one. In March. Wow, yeah, getting March. old. I know, and I you do like... celebrate birthdays now because you invited me very kindly to yeah. like this super fun sounding thing that I couldn't get. Yeah, it's more of like. In the last couple of years, I've been in, you know giving back a lot with some of the money that I've made, and so I've been building schools for kids in need in Guatemala. And so my birthday party was actually like, let's get together and I'm building a school. So I'd love for you to donate money in honor of my birthday. Don't give me gifts. Right. Just give a donation so we can build a school together. Wow. So, okay. So you went, um, you went to college where you played football. Yeah. Okay. So when did you go from like this runt ish person that felt picked on to like, Uh to like pro athlete? It was probably like when I was 13, 
I was just going down the wrong path in, in Ohio. Like my, my brother had gotten out of prison. My siblings, my other sisters were off to college. I just wasn't happy in this small town in Delaware, Ohio. Mm-hmm. My parents were miserable. They were together because of us. Mm-hmm. They weren't in love. And so it was just kind of like constant arguing and, you know, screaming and... Are they still together? They're not together. No. Okay. They got divorced when I was 16. But right. it was just like, and again, my childhood, I had food every day. I right. had a great home. Like, it's all perspective. Right. Yes, absolutely. Like, compared to some people in the world, I had it made. Right. But emotionally, I didn't feel like that way. Right. And uh, so I decided to, I met some kids at this summer camp when I was seventh grade going into eighth grade. Mm-hmm. I met these kids in the summer who were just like incredible human beings. I felt like so much love and joy and passion and inspiration from these like little teenage kids. Mm-hmm. And I was like, these are the type of people I want to hang out with. Not these kids who I'm like stealing with and like smoking cigarettes with in yeah, my backyard okay. for like a month. Right. Okay. But I didn't never even like, it was like disgusting to me, but I was just right. like clueless of what I was doing in my right, life. Right. And so I, I was just doing stupid things and I wasn't fulfilled. And I was like, these are the type of people I want to be around. And they all went to this like private school in St. Louis, Missouri called Principia. Mm-hmm. And so I got back from this like two week summer camp with, you know, and met my family. My parents picked me up from the airport and I go, I want to go to this school. Send me there this year. There's a boarding school. It's like day students in boarding school. So like send me to the boarding school. Get me out of this town. And they were like, no, we're not going to do that. But every day that summer I was like so enrolling in this idea that I wanted them to send me. Mm-hmm. That they were like, okay, let's let's apply first and let's see if we can get you financial aid. And like all the pieces fell into place. And then the start of the new year, I was in St. Louis, Missouri at this private school. What? So what year of high school was this? This was eighth grade. Oh, okay. It was middle school. Okay. So there was like a middle school dorm and then a high school dorm. So I went to middle school and this is kind of when things change. You know, I'm, I'm turning into a teenager. I'm like, my body's not this skinny, scraggly, tall. You're a hundred feet tall. What? So is that what? Yeah. It so happened? I was six four when I was like thirteen. Right. But I was like a hundred and fifty pounds or something, you know. So okay. I was like this goofy looking. Yeah, that's hot too. Okay, go yeah. on. <laughs> go on. But I couldn't read. I went right. into this eighth grade, uh, in this private school. It was it was like college. Right. Like the school was like college, like a like a private college. It felt right. like. And uh, they test you for everything when you go in there, and I'm like. I didn't study at all through elementary school and middle school and public school mm-hmm. when I was in Ohio. Like I could barely get by. And so when I got there, I think I tested at a second grade reading level and like everything I was way below average, everything. But you got into that school. Somehow I got in. Okay. And it, and it was a learning disability that was not diagnosed? I guess not because public school, they don't really do anything. Okay. Yeah, so they put me in like the special needs classes right away. All mm-hmm. through high school, I had a tutor. I was in like the special needs classes, which made me feel even less worthy. Right. And I couldn't read. Like every time the teacher asked me to read out loud, it was just like I would sweat. I was so embarrassed to read in front of my class. Right. Because I couldn't. I would like the simplest words, they would have to correct me. And but, but you were around these kids that you found super inspiring. Super inspiring. Right. Very intelligent and just like big hearts. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started to open up mm-hmm. and evolve. But I had all this negative resentment and anger and defensiveness. Like constantly, if I ever felt picked on, it was like, let me open up the chest and, you know, show the alpha male side of me or whatever, the defensiveness of me. Right, right. And uh, that happened for like, you know, probably like seven years. You know, it kind of went away a little bit year by year, but it was definitely like defensiveness, guardedness, like don't mess with me. I'm sick of being messed with. Right. And that's when you kind of started exercising and all that stuff? Yeah. I mean, I was, I started to develop as an athlete when I went to middle school and started to get recognized as one. Right. Going into high school, I was playing on varsity of every sport my freshman year. Right. Right. So that gave me the confidence to be like, okay, I don't need to be a great student. As long as I'm a great athlete, people are going to accept me. And that's for sure true. And yeah, I just was like, I can be better and better because I want people to accept me. As long right. as I win, right. I'm going to be loved. Right. And did that, did that work or did it feel like a hole that never got filled? Yeah. It wasn't until I was like in college because I started achieving everything. Every goal I wanted athletically, I achieved it basically. I was like, I want to be all state in high school and I did that in two sports. And I was like, I want to be all American in college. I did that in two sports. But I remember... After being an All-American decathlete, I won like my All-American plaque on the podium or whatever. 
And then I'm at dinner right afterwards with my coach, some of my teammates and my parents are there and everyone's so happy for me. And I'm like depressed. I'm like, I do not want to be there. I was just like, get me out of this place. I didn't want to be around my parents. I just want to be well, alone. Right. I don't know. Cause I think I, I wanted to win for the wrong reason. Right. It was more like, I want to win so I get acceptance or approval or something like that. It wasn't from a place of, I want to see how great I can be and inspire others around me. And also, do you think it was, okay, I told myself I'd be happy when I achieved yeah. this, and now I've achieved this, and oh my God, it didn't work. It was like the have, do, be mentality. If I have this, then I'll be happy. Right. As opposed to, if I be happy, yeah, then I'll create and have what I want. Right, right. And I was completely flipped around, because I had, you know, I just figured if I achieved what I wanted, yeah. Then I would have what I want. Well, I mean, many people go to their deathbed thinking that. Yeah, so, yeah. but that and that's sort of what strikes me is that as a seventh grader, you were noticing you were unfulfilled by your friends. I, yeah, I mean, something triggered me to get me out of there. Incredibly mature for for a twelve year old. That's very unusual, I would say. I think one of my strengths, if I had like a superhuman power, it would be intuition, and I just had like this intuitive feeling throughout my childhood and, and still today. And I just knew I wasn't supposed to be there. But even to even to value that is, I think, interesting. Mm. I think. I mean, I certainly wasn't like that. Yeah. So, okay, and so then you go to college and you're all American and um, you're achieving things. And then, is that when you got sidelined by the injury? Is Yeah, after, in college, I broke like three ribs twice and had a number of injuries, but nothing stopped me from competing and playing. It wasn't until I played arena football where I broke my wrist mm -hmm. and then I kind of had to retire and, and stop. So you, so you break your wrist. I, I would, I don't know. I don't know anything about sports. I would think that that wouldn't mean you were necessarily out, but you're out. They took a bone, I played on it for the whole season. So they took a bone from my hip and fused it in my wrist bone so that I could have some like mobility. And yeah, so, and I was in a, cured. Yeah, so I was in a cast for six months like from here to here in this position and then it took another basically 12 months till I could fully straighten my elbow oh, okay. and bend my wrist and just do everything. So it was kind of like a couple of years after I had finished, it's going to be really hard to get back in the game. And I was just beat up. I was like, I'm sick of smashing my head against people's heads. So, and this is the infamous time when you were on your sister's couch. Yeah, for about a year and a half. So yeah. you are, you graduated from college? Not at this time yet. Okay, okay. I okay. eventually did. Okay. I went back for my last like five credits, but yeah, I was. So you're so you're like a dropout. I'm just Basically, you know, yeah. and you're on and you have no money, no. and you can't do this thing that you've been working really hard to do. Yeah. Your dream, and you're on her couch, and you're eating her food, and you are only twenty. Twenty three, I believe, at this time. Yeah. And and you say to yourself, you don't say to yourself. This it's all over for me. Instead, mm -hmm. what did you do? Well, after a few months of depression and just being like, you know, I thought if I have this thing, then I'll be happy. Yeah. So I didn't have it anymore. So I was like, what do I do now? Yeah. What's my life? And something interesting happened. I would not be here today if uh, where I'm at today if something did not happen the year prior, which is my dad got in a really bad car accident. And he was in a coma for three months. He oh hit his God. head really bad against him in the car. A SUV came up in his car and smashed his head open. So my dad basically for like a couple of years, he finally woke up. We had to teach him how to walk and talk and read and write and speak. He couldn't speak for a while. And we had to do everything for him. It was like teaching a child how to do everything for the first time again. He had amnesia. He still has amnesia today. Oh he's, he's alive, but it's just... He's just not the same father that, right. I, that, I, that I grew up with and that I knew. And um, so a lot shifted during then. And we didn't know if he was going to come out of it after a couple of years and like evolve or he was kind of like, is he going to make it? Is he not? He's still alive. He's alive now. And he's happy. Uh, he's still got some challenges to overcome, but he's, he's, he seems happy. He gets by He gets by, own. yeah. He has a wife that takes care of him. He can't, he can't do it all on his own. Right. He couldn't. He can't drive. He can't do certain things. So. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. And so at this time, my father was like, pretty much, you when you retire with football and everything, you can come work with me. He had mm -hmm. a pretty successful insurance company that started to get successful when I was in high school. 
he was like, you can take over my clients, you can learn from me, I'll teach you, and you can kind of just like run the business when I retire. So I kind of had this backup plan in my mind, like right. if it all fails, like at least my dad's got my back. Right. And he's gonna hook me up, and I don't have to worry about money or whatever, you know, because I'm, right. I'm gonna be set up. Right. So he got injured before I got injured, and I was kind of like, he had no money then. He, yeah. he, he got off his health insurance the year before, so it was like all of his money was gone. Oh no. He, had a, he sold his company to his business partner, so there was a buyout, but there was all the money was going to his medical expenses, and there wasn't like there was no backup plan basically. Yeah. I was basically at the point where I was like, I have no way to make money. Yeah. Didn't you? Didn't he have you go work somewhere? This is you, right? And like you maybe fell asleep. Like I swear to God, this was you. You worked in um, an insurance company, and I, oh my God, am I really losing it that badly? I did an internship at the same company when I was in college, but. It was just boring for me. Did yeah. you not fall asleep there? I don't remember falling asleep. Yeah, okay. it must be someone else. No, it wasn't. <laughs> all I listened to are your interviews. Um, it's all good. So, okay, and so you have no way of making money. Yeah, so I'm like, I'm broke. I'm on my sister's couch for a year and a half. I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. I'm just trying to figure out like how to be, make my basic needs met. Yeah. Like, what am I going to do to get an apartment? Yeah. And provide for food for myself as opposed yeah. to my sister and my family and she was in LA is this where you were this is in Columbus Ohio oh, okay yeah and um, you know my brother would give me some some money every now and then just to pay for food like my sister would just love and eat her food right they were all there for me but it was like they had their families as well so yeah it's not like they're just gonna like pay for me right right and um, it just came to the point where I was like, I need to figure this shit out. I was right. like, I need to figure out how to make money. For a year and a half, I was just online using social media to connect with people to like learn about what successful people were doing, how they got to where they were, their mindset, their daily habits, their skills, whatever it may, may be. Like, what do they do to build their business? And I started interviewing people one-on-one -on -one in person, uh, over the phone, over Skype, just doing whatever I could to get in front of the most successful people. And I thought this was interesting, this is you, that you reached out to them and you didn't ever ask for a job. And you, yeah. then once you met with them, you then kind of would introduce them to other people yeah, that yeah. would be beneficial for them. Yeah, I would ask them like, what's the biggest challenge in your business or your life right now? And they would say, well, we're looking for a COO or a graphic designer, or I'd really like to find a trainer to help me get back in shape or whatever it is. And mm -hmm. I'd be like, well, interesting. I know the top COO, the top graphic designer. I just talked to him last week. So right. I make introductions right then for these people. Right. And so I just tried to become like the champion of everyone's network. Right. And be like the all-star that they right. could always reach out to if they needed to get an introduction to anyone or if they needed anything. Right. Any skill like done, I could find that person who had that skill. Right. And that's what I did for... Yeah, a couple of years. I started doing events where I just bring people together. Yeah. And charging for those events to make a little bit of cash. I started, you know, doing some one-on-one -on -one, kind of like social media coaching, teaching people about LinkedIn, which is what I was. So using. yeah, so you got in, super into LinkedIn, and, yeah. and like, I mean, I wanted so much to believe LinkedIn was going away, and now it's like LinkedIn's world, and I just live in it. I don't yeah. know how that happened, but you saw that, or you just happened to be on it. My mentor at the time. You know, I had a few mentors that I was reaching out to just to like for advice about like how right. I live my life right now. Right. Who I'd known from like high school and college who were just always there for me. I was just like, what should I do? And one of my mentors who I really trust still to this day a lot, he was like, why don't you check out LinkedIn because I'm hearing about a lot of people getting jobs and opportunities. Right. So I was like, all right, I'll start, you know, I'll do whatever. Whatever right. you tell me, I'll just do it. And I just dove right in for like six to eight hours a day for like a year. Right. Just on LinkedIn, introducing people, connecting with people, researching. How do you do that? Groups. I had all the time in the world. I was on but my sister's still, couch. I know? think people would, who have all the time in the world like look at LinkedIn and they're like, I have no idea how to do that. I mean, here's the thing. I'm My skill is like I'm very, I'm not a great learner when it comes to like books and things, but it's like. Emotional intelligence is yeah, high. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, I can, if you tell me what to do, I will do it and I'll be the best at it. Like, right. I can figure it out. Right. And he was like, you should check this out. And I was like, okay, right. I'll do it. I'm, I'm going to be a good student and learn everything I can. I was right. researching it. I was just practicing things my own. I was seeing what worked, what didn't work, you know, whatever it would be. I was just like going after it. Right. And, um, and so then you started throwing events. Yeah. 
And how did you, you have the balls to do this? You just. Yeah, I was terrified. I was like 24 and I was throwing these like little networking events that ended up getting three to 500 people at all of them. But I was like, you know, Twitter was big then, mm-hmm. kind of like blowing up. So people were doing tweet ups. I don't know if you remember this. Oh yeah, in, they're still doing it. Back in 2008. Right. I remember going to a couple tweet ups and I was like, I should do like a LinkedIn meetup. Right. Because I was building these little communities in different cities of business professionals, these groups on LinkedIn. And they were asking me for introductions. I was like, why don't I just bring them all together and allow them to connect in person? So I didn't know what I was doing. I had no clue how to run an event or how to like do anything, but I was like, I can figure this out. So I called a venue and I was just like, hey, what's the slowest night of the week for you? Mm -hmm. Of like your bar or restaurant. And they'd be like Tuesday or Wednesday. And I'd be like, can I throw an event? Mm -hmm. I don't want you to charge me, but I'm gonna try to bring a couple hundred people. And they're going to buy a bunch of food and drinks on your slowest night. Okay, but these couple hundred... Okay, having thrown an event, having done a storytelling show mm-hmm. for two years, mm-hmm. and that was great. Unbiased, I'm going to say it was great. People loved yeah. it. It was so hard to get people to show up. Yeah. That's why I closed it. So how do you get those I people mean, to show up? Again, with eight to ten hours a day, I was like literally emailing people one by one. I was promoting like a month in advance, and I would. you could send out a an email to the, all the group members once a week, like yeah. a mass email. So I'd send an email out like, getting them excited, then I'd be like, oh, there's 200 RSVPs, make sure you show up, and then more people would RSVP. Yeah. And I would just email people one by one, like copy paste, send a little email. That didn't annoy people, that motivated them? <laughs> I don't so, think I did it like too much, but yeah. I, I was just like a lot of people I was doing it to. And so, and so they would, and they were motivated to come because they were, you were I mean, bringing together people that would be yeah, good. Yeah, quality networking. business professionals in that right. city. And at that time, 2008, 2009, the economy was really bad. People were looking for jobs. Yeah. People were trying to get more sales for their business. So they were like, I'll do whatever. Right. So I think it was a combination of timing that I was bringing quality people to these events and not just like riffraff. Right. And um, yeah, I don't know. I mean... Yeah, maybe a little luck. I don't know. And so from there, that's when you... Then you wrote a book on LinkedIn, right? Yeah, because I was making like a couple grand in cash from these events. I, yeah. I was doing it for free. And then I was like, I got to make some money. Yeah. So I started charging like 5, 10, 20 bucks at the door. Right. Then I started having like sponsors have like little tables that they could like promote their company mm-hmm. stuff. Then I was like, all right, how else can I make money? So I asked the, the bars or restaurants if I could take a commission from all food and sales like bar and food sales. So I started getting 10-15% commission there. Right. Then I was doing some like one-on-one kind of consulting on LinkedIn, like right. for like 100, 200 bucks an hour for people, like right. LinkedIn profile makeovers. Right. But I was like, I wasn't liking that. I didn't like trading my time for dollars. Yeah. So I, one of my other mentors was like, why don't we write a book together about LinkedIn and networking and how to like leverage real world networking on LinkedIn. Yeah. And so I started selling those at, at the events. At the events and like right. getting, you know. So you self-published it. Yeah, I created a publishing company and worked directly with the printer that prints all the big New York publishers. Okay. And so they're giving it to like a dollar a book or something and we were going around selling it for 10. Right, right. How many did you, how many copies did you print? I, I mean, we were printing, we could print them like a couple hundred at a time. So we right. didn't just ship us books because we were a publishing company so we could get them directly from the printer as many yeah. as we wanted. Right. Yeah, so I was selling like a couple hundred a night, you know. These and do those count with BookScan? Do they track stuff like that? I don't that? even know. But you didn't like, care. I didn't care. I was just yeah. wanting to make some cash. Yeah. But um, so I started making like three grand a month, probably doing these. But they started to get so exhausting. I did twenty of them in a year. Right. And I was just burnt out. I right. Was like I can't travel anymore. Like promoting them all the way I was doing it just wasn't working with me. Yeah. And uh, I was starting to like freak out. Like how am I gonna? You know, I finally I moved into my brother's house for $250 a month. He was like allowing me to have a room. Right. Where? What city? In Columbus, like uh-huh. near my sister. So for a year and a half, I lived rent free with her. And then I moved 250 a month. I was paying for his right. place. But I only stayed there for like four or five months because shortly after I connected with a guy who asked me to come on and speak on a webinar about LinkedIn. This guy named Joel Kahn, who was you know, a New York Times bestseller and just a big like internet marketing you know, right. master at the time. And he asked me to come on. I had no clue what I was doing with this webinar. But at the end of the, I came on this webinar, there were about 500 people on. And at the end, I sold this $150 live LinkedIn training program that I was offering. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the webinar, there was $6,200 in my account, in my PayPal account. And I just 
freaked out. It was like the most money I'd ever seen in my life. And so what, but you had you created this live webinar? I hadn't created it yet. I was like, I'm going to do this live training next right. week online. So and, and how do you even do that? Through webinars. Okay. It's just like, I'm going to send you a link for this. It was like so bad. I was right. like, I'm going to send you a link for this thing once you buy it. And then I'll tell you the time and when I'm going to do it next week. Right. Then, so you just figured it out. Though. I was just like throwing crap together. Right. I had no clue. Right. And, and so webinars really became how you got, you hit it big. That's how everything shifted. That's when yeah. I kind of had like the aha moment, like, wow, 6,200 bucks in my account instantly yeah. Yeah. without knowing what I'm doing. Yeah. And the next webinar I did was 12,500 in an hour. And I was just like, this is, I was freaking out. Right. Like I never felt that much cash. Yeah. And so I was what'd making, you do? I was making $250 a week playing football in the Arena Football League. Right, right. And that was the most money I'd ever made. Right. And so to go from that to being broke for a couple of years to making a couple grand in cash a month and then boom, yeah. started doing webinars. I was just like, I could do this every day for the rest of my life. Right. But you can't because no. you burn but out. That was my idea. I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. Yeah. So for the next like four years, yeah. Were they always LinkedIn webinars? For a while they were LinkedIn and then they were kind of like teaching social media. Then we started publishing experts. I had a business partner on these. So we started like publishing other people who were experts in Facebook and YouTube and teaching those strategies. Then we're teaching blogging and email marketing, like any type of strategies for building your business online. We started teaching. Right. Because people were like, people were requesting that. After I did LinkedIn so much, can they were like, can you tell us more? Right. About right. other things. Right. I was like, I don't know it all, but I know the person who does. Right. And then, but what's also interesting about you is that you you also sort of decided who you wanted to know mm. and figured out a way to get to them. Okay, like this, the story about how I found you was just that I was over Christmas break last Christmas, like sort of desperately trying to figure out, like, how can I really sell these rehabs on me doing social media for them? I've got to become an expert. Mm. And I and I stumbled on this video of you telling mm. Gary... Vaynerchuk. Yeah, like how he could crush it on, on, LinkedIn. <laughs> on LinkedIn, I guess. And I remember playing this video, and my friend was there, and she was just like... Um, what is this? Because you kept saying boom, or was it boom or something? Anyway, this is like five, six years ago. Okay, so I but know I was, was just like, then. oh, I gotta, I gotta find this guy. And then it turned out we had Facebook friends in common. And then I emailed you, and you very kindly emailed me back and met with me. Yeah. Um, and then everything changed. <laughs> everything did change. It was sort of unrelated. I mean, you basically said to me, you were just. It was a good sort of wake up call. Mm. Oh, I think literally that day was the day I got the the offer, mm. the first offer for my business. But but you basically were like, I, and I'm going, well, I have to call these people. And you were like, yeah, what's the problem? Make 10 calls a day. Make 100 calls a day. Don't let your, the weekend come without, you know, having at least five sales. Yeah, that's and scary. I couldn't really deal with the fact that, that you were not, like, I wanted sympathy. I wanted empathy. I wanted you to say, um, oh, I'll do it for you. Like, I wanted all of these things, but not that. Mm. But it was a really, that was like why it really spoke to me. And then I said, you know, I want you to be my mentor and coach. And then you said, well, first of all, I'm not available. And second of all, and then you <laughs> quoted the most outrageous price. I mean, it was really not, I mean, you were just like super nice about it. Yeah. But you were like, this is what I charge. Yeah. It was not within the realm of possibility. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, for me, trading my time for dollars that doesn't make sense anymore. Right. There's got to be something like, there's got to be something bigger than that. And sometimes I slip back into it. I'm like, gosh, it's a great opportunity. I could really help this person and I'll charge this and I'll make a lot. But it's just like at the end of the day, that's not how you generate wealth from what I've learned from my mentors. Right, right. By trading time for dollars. doesn't matter how much. I mean, it gets to the point where it's like 50 grand an hour. I'm like, okay, maybe that's right, nice. Right, right. But, um, I'm, you know, I can't just tell the people how to build their business and generate wealth if I'm not following my own principles. True. But so, oh, but my point about how you sort of decided who you wanted to know, and now if you do a Google search for you, it says similar searches include Gary, you know, right. yeah. So my point is that this was like, you made this video to get this guy's attention sort mm, of. Yeah. And then now you're basically on along the same lines, which I think is, again, it's just really ballsy. I just don't mm. think, and, and when I listen to a lot of your stuff and you emphasize so much getting a mentor, some of, part of me feels 
like, and you know, I'm sure you'll argue mm. with this, that it's very male, that it's much harder when you're a woman. A lot of women say that too. They're like, it's hard to find women mentors. Yeah. And uh, someone should develop a site around this. And there probably is something out there. Ooh. But like this the, could be mine. the female mentor network or something, but I it, it is really really hard. But then I don't know also if it's um, you know I think it it requires a certain level of humility to have a mentor, and I think I have always been mm. sort of um, like a, a little bit. You know how you talked about how you had that defensiveness mm. up for ten years and or whatever, ego and everything else. Yeah, yeah, I think that it takes a certain level of humility that I didn't really have until very mm. recently. So if any ladies out there who are super successful are listening, now I'm available there to you be go. your mentee. But yeah, I mean, I got to the point where I was like, I'd rather be successful and and have humility than be right. And yeah, successful. but sometimes it doesn't feel like a conscious choice. I, I wasn't aware of that yeah. while it was happening, yeah. you know. Um, but so so you sort of met all these people, and then now you go on like super like exclusive little you know trips and shit with them where you play <laughs> ping pong and beat them. I don't know. I pick things up. Um, and um, well, I mean, the, the, for me, it's relationships is really where where I can excel in. Because I didn't excel in school, I didn't. Ex- I don't excel in reading or you know memorizing things or right test like testing. I'm horrible at it. Any test. Well, luckily we don't have many in life. Yeah. We want after school. Yeah, but it still does like stress me. I just did my driver's license here uh-huh. in L.A. And that stressed you out. It, it stressed me out. I failed the first time. Yeah. You, you got. You can only miss like five or six. It's or not something. that easy. It's not. And the, no. the questions are confusing. Yeah. The yeah. answers are confusing because I'm like, well, common sense tells you this. Right. But the second, I was like so nervous, so nervous going to this test, and then I failed the first time, and you get like two more try, one more yeah. try or something. I was like, so I sat in the waiting room and just studied for an hour, and I was like, I'm not failing this one, and I took my time and just relaxed, and I only missed one question on the second one. Oh, like see, 40. look at that. So Look at like, that. But it took me forever to finish. Where most people are just like, you know. Right, right. But that's not where I excel in. Where I, I excel in is relationships. But also, I do think that then you have anxiety around. I mean, then who knows how much the anxiety about I don't test well then exacerbates that, yeah, yeah. you know. Well, you know, over the last couple of years of just really studying emotional intelligence and doing work on myself, I would say I was nervous, but I also was calm. I was like, I'm right. not going to be attached to the results. Right. Like, if I fail... Then I'm gonna fail and I'm gonna come back. Right. And whatever. And so I didn't have like this complete stress like taking me over like I used to when I was in high school. Right. It's right. more like, okay, one question at a time, give my best. I know the answers, so just give my best and the results will work. And so you have you started to learn about emotional intelligence. You don't do therapy, right? No, never. So you don't except for this couple's therapy I did like twice, but yeah. But so and you don't do like forum or whatever else Stephen knows that is. A landmark, no. Yeah. You don't do stuff like that. You you do this by by reading? No, I did a I did another workshop called uh, Mastery and Transformational Training. Is that a Tony Robbins? That's here thing? in LA. It's not but I've done Tony Robbins as well. You know, the one I did it had some similarities with Tony. Like mm-hmm. Tony had some similar ex- exercises that like brought out similar things, but this one was a, a kind of an intense five-day workshop here in LA. That do we all need to do it? Was it transformative? It was one of the most five most powerful days of my life. Really? Yeah, and I've had some pretty incredible experiences. Right. But for me, and it might have just been timing, it might have been because I was going through like this breakup. And right, I was, like, you were just ready to I hear. I was ready to like, just like experience what I needed to. But that's when I opened up about, something inside of me opened up about this like experience of being raped when I was a kid during this workshop. To them, or that's when you realized well, you that's could when talk I realized, about it? Well, that's when, they kind of created the space that I felt like, this is something I need to start talking about. Right. And because there was these different exercises we went through, it was like 30 something exercises that to help you uncover how to become, basically achieve your greatness. Like mm-hmm. what's holding you back from achieving greatness and being the leader in your life and your family and your community. Like what's holding you back. I'm so signing up for this. As <laughs> it's powerful. And I was just like, I don't feel like anything's holding me back. You know, my ego was in the way just going in because I was like, right. I'm pretty much achieving everything I want to achieve. You know, I'm, I'm in great shape. I'm like, right. everything I want, I go and get it. Right. Uh, so I realized my ego was in the way. And, but then we really looked back and like, you know, family experiences from the past, like 
our, our thoughts about the future, everything. We looked at everything. Right. And there was a point where a lot of people were just opening up about things that were just like mind blowing. And so the kind of like their vulnerability gave me right. Made a safe you feel place. Safe. Right. And the trainer of the workshop at one point was like, okay, if anyone has anything they want to say, they feel like it's really holding them back. Like now's your time. So we'd kind of gone through a couple of days. I'd got to know some of the people in the, in the, in the workshop. i I had a connection with the trainer. I felt like I was trust trustworthy space. And I was just like, is there anything in my past that I feel like what, you know, I feel shameful of or anything? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't think so. I was like going through all my memories in my head. I was like, this, no, my brother, no, like going to prison, no. Like, I was like, oh, wait a minute. What about that thing when I was raped when I was five that I haven't told anyone about? Oh my God. And so I just thought about it for a second and my heart started pounding. I was like, fuck, I was like, probably means I should talk about this. Right. But I tried to like blow it off my whole life like it wasn't a big deal. Right. Like, so what? It happened. But if, you know, I was like, man. So I just stood up. And then I got in the front of the room. Uh-huh. And I was like, holy. My heart was pounding. Because I was yeah. like, I can't believe I'm about to say this. Yeah. And I was very calm. I couldn't look at anyone. But I was just yeah. looking down. I was very calm. And I kind of like walked through step by step everything that happened. Were you crying? I wasn't crying. I was very, I was kind of a little shaky. I was like trembling a little bit. Yeah. And I go back and sit down and then I just start bawling uncontrollably. And so grateful that there was two loving women sitting next to me because they just like hugged me mm-hmm. and allowed me to just cry. Mm-hmm. For like five minutes I was weeping. And I was so scared of what everyone was going to think about me. Yeah. I was so terrified to like look at anyone. And the, the train of the workshop, like there was, we had a break right then. And I just went outside. I was just like basically sprinted. I was like, get me out of here. Right. I was so scared. And uh, I walked out of the hotel, conference room, whatever, outside into like the back alley just kind of like put my head against the wall and I'm still crying and just trying to breathe. And uh, I was like, I don't know if I can go back in there. There was a couple of like men in the workshop that came up to me a few minutes later and just looked me in the eyes and they were like, you are my hero. And for me, it's just like, I was still like just crying and like so vulnerable, but it created a, you know, a safer place for me to be like, okay, I can go back in. Yeah. And other men opened up about experiences they had. And it was just like the most moving experience for me to connect with them on this level. Wow. And feel free to share about the experience that happened in my life. Yeah. And then after that, free to share about anything. Yeah. And, uh, and also to not allow an experience to control me right. anymore. And I think that was what was powerful for me to realize like, okay, this is something that has happened in my life. And I can be a victim to it mm-hmm. and always react when I feel like people are trying to attack me mm-hmm. and be defensive and guarded. Or I can be responsible for every experience in my life mm-hmm. and look at it as an opportunity as opposed to something that's going to hold me back anymore. And, and is just deciding that enough or do you feel like it still plagues you? Uh, I feel extremely comfortable sharing about it now. I mean, I went through a... A couple month process where I told every family member. Right. What did your parents just? I mean, my my mom was like heartbroken. She was like, I feel like I failed you as a mother. And I was like, listen, mom, you didn't. Like, you had no idea. Right. You were doing right. the best you could. So right. and my siblings opened up to me. I mean, it was just like incredibly healing for me. Right. Right. And I think for them, they didn't know. But they gave them a space to be comfortable and vulnerable with me about things that I didn't know about them. Right. Right. And so it just created a connection of intimacy that we've never been able to create on that level. Right. So it was extremely powerful. When what? This was a year ago? I think I, I guess I think I opened up about this in probably around like May last year. Okay. Yeah, almost a year, I guess now. Yeah. And yeah. that's when you, okay. And, um, and then I started sharing it to like really close friends it was really challenging at first to kind of open up to people. But, yeah. But now it's like, I say it as just like, I had breakfast yesterday. You know, it's and, like... And you made this decision to put it on your pod. Was that a big decision? Yeah. I've been thinking about it for like four or five months, actually. Right. Because <laughs> I... Uh, and it's it'll be out next week. 
Um, but you know, I want to put it out there to continue my healing process. Yeah. But also to help people to come yes. forward with their own. Yes. And not necessarily the need to tell me, No, but no. just to be like, I feel like if I can go through something like that and again, it's not like it's, there's lots of people who've had experiences like this yeah. that I connected with. Yeah. So it's, I'm not special or unique in this way. Right. There's probably, you know, I don't even know. I don't know the percentages, but I'm assuming it's very high. 20, 30%. Yeah. Are probably so men. I don't know, but I know. Even more of women probably have been sexually abused on some level. Yeah. And, um, and I want people to feel like they can talk about it. Yeah. Because for me, talking about it and just being able to like experience it and not feel ashamed about it anymore has given me a lot of freedom in my life. Well, and also the, the message to the people who follow you about not feeling shame about anything, yeah. you know, because shame yeah. is just to- is a completely useless, you know, guilt Mm-hmm. That's okay. You know, guilt is, and my other people have said this, and I'm completely maligning what they said, but this is the general thing I've heard. You know, it's like guilt can be useful because guilt can keep you from doing right and wrong. Sure. You know, but shame is just useless. There's mm. no, you know, because guilt says I've done something wrong. Shame is like, I am wrong. Mm. And people. Yeah. And that's how I felt my whole life. Yeah. And people don't need to ever, ever yeah. feel like that. You know, and I think it's subtle and especially, you know, because mostly it's addicts who listen to this, you know, it's so, that's just such a part of, of like addiction and having that frame of thinking, you know, you just sort of naturally feel like that. So it takes a lot of work to not, you know, even if you haven't been abused, you know, took me 30 years to realize it. And, um, and so, and so let's talk about, so then you decided you have, you've had all this success in business and you can kind of afford to do what you want. And you say, well, really, I want to be uh, an Olympic athlete. Yeah. Okay. And so what was that process? <laughs> well, I mean, my, you know, my childhood dream was to be an Olympian. It was like the most inspiring two weeks of every four years. Right. Watching the Olympics and hearing the stories about like, gosh, just how people got to that, that moment, those moments, the journey of them getting there. And, um, you know, I talk about people following and living their dreams and like going after what scares them. And I was like, seems like a pretty big dream to go after, right. but I still like have this desire inside to, to go for it. Whether right. I make it or not is not what I'm focusing on. What I'm focusing on is the journey of being there. Yeah. Each moment, each opportunity I have, because right. life is now, this is all we have. Right. I can't predict what's going to happen this next year, four years from now. Eight years. Right. But um, I just, yeah, last weekend I just got called up to be on the national team. So we're going to, and I played with the national team before a year and a half ago. So I got called up again to play. And so this is handball. Let's this is team you. handball. Okay. And this is a sport that's huge in Europe, pretty much unknown in the United States. Right. But for those that don't know, imagine water polo on a big basketball court without water. That's what the sport looks like. Oh, you're playing against each other? like Yes. So you're taking a ball with your hand. It's like a mini soccer ball. Yeah. That you dribble and okay. you throw and you, and you, you, you catch it and you pass it and you shoot it into a, a small soccer goal. Oh, this is not at all what I was picturing. Yeah. It's, okay. not, it's not like the New York handball where you hit a ball against the wall. That's what I thought you were doing. Yeah. No. Okay. Okay. Wow. And so you found out about this when? When I was on my sister's couch in 2008, okay. I was watching the Olympics. And I just got my cast off, and I saw this sport that I'd never seen before in my life that they were playing on TV at like 2 a.m. And I was just like, what is this? I was fascinated. Right. And I said, I'm going to learn how to make money. So that I can do So this. that I can move to New York City. Because there was, I was researching teams in the U.S., and there was only a, like a handful of amateur club teams. But the national amateur club team champions was New York City for the last couple of years. Right. So I was like, I'm going to move and go play with the best team and learn from the best and see if I can make the national team to go to the Olympics. So a few years later, I moved to, uh, my business started taking off around this time, yeah. like a couple months later. And I um, I was like, all right, I'm going to go check out New York City. But you moved here first. Moved to New York first. Okay, you moved to New York. So in 2010. Okay. 2011? Something like that. It was 2010. I was there then, I think. Yeah, 2010, 2011. There were some cold winters. Is that what happened? The winter after the coldest winter. It was like the most, it was like the hottest winter of that year. Okay. People were like, this is not real New York Right, weather. right. So it might have been 2011. So I moved there for a year and a half. I played with the team. And then I make the USA national team in, in nine months after moving. 
And um, then I moved out here, uh, I guess it's almost two years now, in July, I think. And did you know people here? Yeah. I knew people both in New York and L.A. from traveling events, social yeah. media, just like whatever. Yeah. And yeah. um and so and so now you're on the team. I'm on the team. There's a 16 man roster. Okay. And they called me up for this tournament. So So what when is that? So it's in June. Uh-huh. So in June I'll go to Alabama and train with the team at Auburn University. They have like a residency program where all the players a lot of the players are at right now. I'll train there for a week. Then we'll go to Brazil for a week to, um. to do some uh, some game practice games. Mm-hmm. And then we'll go to Uruguay for the Pan Am Championship tournament. And then if you win that, what happens? If we get top three, we go to the world championship in Qatar, which I, I just heard yesterday it's pronounced Qatar. It is? I never knew That's that. what someone told me. They're okay. like, well, it's actually pronounced Qatar. Let's get a second opinion So who knows? Yeah. But Qatar. Okay. So it's basically like the World Cup of handball. And, it's a huge deal. And is it televised? And... It'll be televised all over Europe. Right. Probably not here. It'll be online, like, a, yeah, live online. Um, And so that's your focus right now. That's your passion. You know, my... My life is, I want to have it all. Yeah. I want to show myself that I can have everything I want, that I don't have to be limited to only focusing on one thing. Yeah. That I can find a win-win in every situation and um, that I can have it all. And I think some people say, you know, you can only put your attention here if you want to be great at something or you can only put it here or you're only in a relationship or whatever. But I'm like, why I mean, can't we have it all? You're proving that to be untrue. That's that's yeah. one of the reasons I find you inspiring. Thank you. And so and so for people who don't know your podcast, The School of Greatness, mm-hmm. um, that's something you put out every week, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and you interview a guest about what makes them great. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes you do like a solo where you I just do. talk into the mic. I do. I've only done a couple of those. I want to start doing the more of those. Yeah, that was really interesting. Yeah. So I'm gonna start doing more of those. But um yeah, to kind of like go off your first couple sentences of this interview where it's more of a spiritual a lot, yeah. of more, a lot of them are very more spiritual or emotionally connected than what you think and I think uh, I just I'm like a good Trojan horse I try to bring people in thinking they're going to really learn one thing like how to make this yeah. much money or whatever but yeah. it's really a much deeper thing on how to like achieve whatever it is well because one of your messages is very much be of service of which is like one of the main tenets of recovery too yeah. is it Oh yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, I mean because alcoholics come in and I know for me it's just like complete self-absorption and having yeah, no focusing idea out. and not getting and thinking that like helping someone else is what it's taking away from my time, you yeah. know, thinking yeah. it's going to make you happier to mm. not do that. How many tenants are there? Well, that's just an unofficial. That's like not really. Well, I guess the 12th step is really about that. But it's like mentoring someone else. Yeah, right? yeah exactly. Yeah. So, but it's it's part of that you're supposed to be thinking about every day, basically. Uh-huh. Anyone you interact with. I mean, how I'm, to serve them, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how I live my life, I feel Yeah. Like. I mean, it seems like that sort of came naturally, mm-hmm. you know? Well, I think always being like feeling unloved right. as a kid, I was always like wanting to give and give. But and that's like, different. That giving to be yeah. liked and that being of service are True. different things. They evolved over time. Right. Because right. that's when I started to get like acknowledgement and everything. I just liked giving. Yeah, exactly. It just felt good to give. Yeah. Know? So I was, I didn't need it to get anything in return. I just right. liked right. giving. And so, okay, so you have your podcast, um, which everyone should be listening to. And and then you also have your academy. Is that is that happening still? School of Greatness Academy. I was yeah. going to join at one point. I don't know what happened with that. I don't know if I made the cut. <laughs> Did you apply? I don't know. You said it. You said. You got to apply. I, okay, I have to apply. <laughs> it's an application process. Yeah, it's for entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs that want to take their business to the next level. Yeah. Uh, then I've got a product coming out. Yeah, I've got products... I've got books I'm working on. I've got lots of things. And you have a book on webinars too. I've got a book on webinars and LinkedIn on Amazon. You can check out. Yeah, yeah I'll put links to the, to yeah. those. I'm also going to buy those probably. Not that I'm a little over LinkedIn, but the webinar thing, that's yeah. inspiring. It's fun. Yeah. Um, is there anything else? And um, people can find you on Twitter. I wouldn't yeah, say just, you tweet all the time. Yeah, I tweet a couple times a day. Yeah. yeah. Instagram, I'm a big fan of. Oh, you're an Instagram guy. I'm at Lewis Howes anywhere online. But yeah. LewisHowes.com, you can find all that stuff. And what about TV? You did have, are we allowed to talk about your little reality TV stint? Talk about whatever, yeah. I mean, I'm not really proud of it, but it was, it was a fun little experience. It happened to be a show that I was completely obsessed with because oh, I knew two of the three women That's on right. it, but not the one that... You they, knew Emily and Julia? Yeah. Allison, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was an experience. I'll say that. What was it called? 
Misadvised. Misadvised. <laughs> yes, you were on it. Um, and um, yeah, and he's a very handsome fellow for those who are just listening and have no idea. You just know that he's 6'4". Yeah. Um, and a pro athlete. So you guys, go check him out. That's all I got, unless you got something else. I'm good. Awesome. Thanks for allowing me to uh, speak openly. Uh, thank you for doing it. It really was amazing. But I tell you, pretty powerful stuff. Yep, it was Lewis Howes. Go check him out. You will not regret it. And go give us a review. Why not? iTunes, it doesn't cost you anything, and it really, really does help us. So if you like us, please, please share it with iTunes. Oh, and Stitcher and your friends. See you next time.